This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get into Brown's Film Breakdown, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, I want to talk to you guys about our friends over at MyBookie. They're back. The NCAA tournament's coming up soon before you know it. Selection Sunday's next weekend. One of the greatest betting events of the year. So whether you like filling out your bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all the above, my bookie's the perfect home for your March Madness fun, guys. Will Zion and his teammates current, currently bring back Duke to win the title? Can Virginia get past the 16 seed this year? And Kentucky get back to the Final Four for the first time in forever? Who knows? If you know... Don't hesitate to go to my bookie. It's the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you. Uh, multiple bracket guys have an option there as well. My bookie's been in business for years. Goal is to drive you to the be uh, the best better you can be, and they have the best customer service to do that. So the best part is, guys, you can get in there quickly. You get in there within 48 hours. You can get paid. It's the best way to go about betting. Right? Kick back, enjoy March Madness. Put a little money on the line. Feel great about your picks. Get those picks in, right? Deposit with MyBookie today using that promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE with MyBookie. You play, you bet, you win, and then you get paid, period. All right, guys. Cue the music. Welcome to Brown's Phone Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com. Coming at you guys on Sunday night. This is going to be released Monday morning. First day of free agency, the tampering period starts at 4 o'clock. We're excited. I'm excited. We're feeling good, right? Going into free agency, the Browns are about fourth in overall dollars, about $82 million available. Some moves have been made. If you paid attention today, they released Darren Fells. We'll talk about that now first. I thought that was coming down the line eventually. I like Darren Fells. He's had a great career up to this point in the blocking department. But in Cleveland this past year, although he had uh, 10 catches, on right about the same number of targets, three touchdowns, he was effective in the passing game. They decided that this guy does not block well enough for us to keep him around, and they think, and this is a smart logic in my opinion, you have this guy who is a very limited pass catcher, runner, receiving threat. He was effective in this tight end two role to the tune of three touchdowns and ten catches. What can somebody who's really dynamic do in that role? That is where I have been aligned all offseason. I think if you were getting unbelievable blocking from Darren Fells, you could live with that contract for another year. But the beautiful part of what John Dorsey did is they built a way to get out of a lot of these middling contracts. Terrence Mitchell, TJ Carey, EJ Gaines, a lot of these contracts they signed last year that had a lot of people frightened about cash space didn't realize that John Dorsey built in ways to get around those contracts. So it's a beautiful thing they did. They have now the opportunity to let Darren Fells go put themselves in an opportunity or they position in the opportunity to grab a more uh, effective in the passing game tied into moving forward. Now, whether that guy is, they believe in Seth Naval, the guy they had plans for last year, who was rotating early in camp with David Njoku before his quad injury, uh, they could believe in him. And if they believe in him, that means they'll bring in either a low name free agent just to be a third guy, or they will draft and bring along a third guy, which would be a logical thing to do. Or they could, you know, possibly go into free agency and sign somebody in that middle tier, that C.J. Uzoma, 
Jesse James type could take an injury risk flyer on Tyler Eifert. There are options to be had for tight end two for a more dangerous passing weapon around uh, around Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens. Obviously love using 12, 13 personnel last year. That was no secret over 50% of the time. And then you bring in Todd Monken, who had that O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait tight end combo in uh, Tampa Bay last year. And you have a really good setup and a really good group of guys who can catch the ball out of run situations or run formations and can be highly effective in those situations for deception and make plays down the field. So keep your eye on those guys. Keep your eye on the names of Josh Oliver, Jay Sternberger, those guys in the draft who could come up a little later. I wouldn't think they go early. Somebody like TJ Hawkins and Noah Fant, those Iowa uh, guys are on the table. They could go that direction, but I'm not entirely sure that, that they do end up going that direction. I would expect them to get somebody middle rounds and then sort of groom them behind two tight ends who are now veterans. I think they do need a veteran presence like Darren Phillips brought. So uh, good options on the table for the Browns at tight end. Also, the big news that happened, everybody sort of paid attention to the Giants rumors, and Kevin Zeitler thought it was connected to Odell Beckham Jr. That didn't happen, however. It does mean uh, a trade did happen. They brought in a one-for-one swap of Olivier Vernon and Kevin Zeitler. They did exchange draft picks. The Browns move up into round four, uh, trade back a uh, pick back to the Giants about 30 picks later. So the Browns improved their draft position, and they improved pass rushers. So analyzing that trade is fascinating. The Browns had to have decided that, um, Olivier Vernon provides them with a, a vast improvement over Emmanuel Agba and a three-down rusher capability position. Uh, a lot of what is available in the free agent market are names of guys who can rush situationally, who can rush in pass situations where it is predictable that a pass is coming. They wanted somebody who can be a physical player against the run, somebody who can play that seven technique or the five technique and be able to man an edge, but also be able to get after the quarterback. And I think they found that in Olivier Vernon. It cost them their right guard, Kevin Zeitler. But I think the Browns look at the risk-reward of that whole situation. Can we replace a right guard the way we can find an effective player coming off the edge opposite Miles Garrett? Let's make this move. It's parallel in money, essentially. A little bit more money the Browns have to take on. But they do have a beautiful out after this year. Um, which goes in line with what John Dorsey's thought process is. So if they don't want Vernon Pass this year, they can let him go, get rid of that cap hold. It's beautiful. Um, like I said, loved Kevin Zeitler's effort this year. was just fantastic pulling, blocking in a lot of the play-action schemes the Browns used. Wish him absolutely nothing but the best. The Giants are getting a very good football player. But this is just the tip of the iceberg for the Browns and improving their defensive line. I think they're going to be active in the defensive tackle market starting this week. If we do get some signees, we will call an emergency podcast if any big names come about because I'm fascinated what they're going to do at linebacker, fascinated whether they're going to go after Tyrell Williams or not. Also fascinated whether they take a gander about any other backup Russians as they still have Emmanuel Agba, who they could trade. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do to get some value back for him. And then they also have uh, Chris Smith, too. But I, they could attack the defensive end position, but I do want them to get some people to anchor the interior three technique backup Larry Ogunjobi, the one technique, the likes of. Henry Anderson, Darius Phylon, Timmy Jernigan, those guys are on the market. Sheldon Richardson, they can be had. How much the Browns want to spend, I don't know. I don't expect them to go crazy spending-wise, but I do expect them to target a few key players, possibly Jordan Hicks, people they know can take advantage of. Uh, their, you know, The contract situation and, and all the above, the Browns can take advantage of really good opportunities to get those guys that aren't necessarily top dollar but are really vital to what they're trying to do heading into the draft. Because to me, the most important thing the Browns have to analyze is how can we fill most of our positions 
so that we don't feel forced to pick a position in the draft instead of the best player available at 17. The earlier you are in the draft, you have an opportunity for those things to line up more accordingly. But as we're not accustomed to that, we're now back at 17. A lot of the names that we like in the draft might be gone. So when you get to 17, then you can pick hopefully what is the best player you deem available and not be forced into taking a wide receiver or forced into taking a defensive tackle because you have nobody else who can do those things for you. So that, to me, is the most important part of free agency. It is going to be a really fun week with free agency. The Browns have already done some things leading up that make me feel good about it. They have money to spend. Again, they have names of their own that they want to retain, so don't expect them to go out and sign five names that you're really accustomed to and drop a lot of money. That's probably not going to happen. Temper your expectations a little bit. Look at the fit for what they're trying to do. Understand what they're trying to accomplish as they look to sign back their own guys, the Jabril Peppers, Miles Garrett, Joe Schobert, those guys that will be coming up in the near future. They have to keep that sort of money available. Big picture stuff going on up in Cleveland. But a great job with Olivier Vernon. I really think he can be a good football player for the Browns. Ton of skill. I wrote about him over at Cleveland.com. I urge you to read about that. It takes a look at those things he does really well. And then a part of his game that frustrated a lot of fans and a lot of coaches that I think is going to crop up is here, uh, crop up here as well. So keep an eye on that. If you can, just go to Cleveland.com. You can find it this week at the OBR. I will also be writing about uh, Austin Corbett's fit potentially at right guard. He played the entire preseason at guard. Uh, we're going to take a look at some of those traits he has, what he did well. He only played about 14 snaps in the regular season in heavy personnel settings, meaning six offensive linemen. They brought him in as an extra offensive lineman. So we'll take a look at all of it and what his potential fit at right guard could be because there's no doubt in my mind, James Camp and the new offensive line coach, uh, Freddie Kitchens, John Dorsey, they all sat down, Todd Monken, and talked about can this guy be a right guard for us and give us 80 to 85% of what Kevin Zeitler was. And I think they they have to feel good about that. They could still sign somebody that could compete with him, and they could still draft somebody to compete with him, and they would be wise to do that. Uh, but I do think they at least feel good about their you know first pick of the second round, Austin Corbett, um, coming in and, and having a really good chance to win that right guard position. So that's where I'm at with it. The OBR is, like I said, I will come out with a piece on that, analyzes Corbett and what he could do at right guard, so keep your eyes peeled there. Before we get to our guests, I want to talk to you guys about Harry's Razors. All right, we've got an announcement. Blue Wire is going to team up with Harry's. We're going to make this a, um, you know, a big part of our, our, our organization here going forward. So if you could go to harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com slash Blue Wire. You can save $10 on a value trial set. Look, I, I don't beat around the bush here. They sent us a, a, a promotion of this, the trial. It's fantastic stuff. I've always been a Gillette guy, but I've switched. I don't use them anymore. You go to harrys.com slash Blue Wire. You get the five-blade razor with lubricating strip. Trimming blade, you get the rich lather shaving gel, and you get a travel blade cover, all complimentary there, right? You get a, you get all three of those for just $3 shipped to your door. That's all you got to do is pay that $3. Enough with cheap razors, guys. I'm telling you, it's totally worth it to switch to Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany. That's where they've been making those blades now for over 95 years. So join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee, and that is important. So go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. All right, so we are going to shift over to our guest, one of my favorite draft nicks, hopefully one of your guys that you have paid attention to as well over the years. We're going to try to knock out all these draft positions leading up to late April's draft. So we are shifting over. 
All right, guys, welcome in. Excited to bring in somebody I really believe in as far as draft analysis. You know him. He's been around Twitter for a long time. Heck, it says here he joined in 2008. Um, he, he has been one of the backbones of draft Twitter, in my opinion, and has become a great, reliable source, does the rookie scouting portfolio. He's the creator of that, does little football guys. He's a senior staff writer there, too. Matt Waldman. Matt, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Jake. I am doing great. It's, it's, I'm g- glad that we get to get on here and chop it up. Yeah, heck yeah, man. I was really excited when I sent you a message and you agreed to come on. It's, there's a list of guys I've wanted to have conversations with, and in the NFL Twitter world, you're one of them, so I'm excited. I do want to um, dive into running backs with you because um, I try to try to scour Twitter to, to get a feel for people that have a good feel for all positions. I thought you'd be perfect for running back as we go through each of these positions. We had, um, you know, who is now a co-worker with you, Matt. We had Mark Schofield on to talk quarterbacks, so... Uh, we'll bring you in for running backs. I, I just uh, It's a weird year for the Browns in terms of running back. We all feel good about the position as it currently stands. They have a heck of a rookie that's going into year two, Nick Chubb. They, they obviously have a guy going into uh, his second year of his second contract, Duke Johnson, who we all felt good about. And then they just signed this random guy off the street named um, you know, Kareem Hunt. So it's going to be <laughs> extremely interesting to see if the Browns have any interest in running backs. But before we talk Browns, I want to get your opinion, Matt, on who – this draft's best running backs are because we knew last year the Saquon Barkley wars were going on. Do you take a quarterback uh, and, and see if Saquon's there for? Do you take Saquon, get whatever quarterback's there for? People were more interested in the class as a whole last year with, with uh, Isaiah Crowell had left. This year, I think people are largely ignoring it. So this is an informative part for people who don't know who the big names are on the draft board this year. So, Matt, the stage is yours. Who are your top three running backs on this year's draft class? Yeah, it's funny, and I'm glad that you had me on for running backs because it's actually my favorite position, and it's kind of my wheelhouse in terms of the ones that I love to do. Um, and, you know, you grew up in Cleveland. Of course, you better know something or another about running backs. So mm-hmm. um, especially for my parents' generation, since I was born in 70, all I ever heard about was Jim Brown. Um, but um, the three best backs certainly aren't nowhere near Jim Brown, but they're all pretty good backs who I think can be starters in the league. Um, but this is a weird class, Jake, because – uh, to me, you know, oftentimes when we think of like the top backs in, in, in a college program, we're always talking about speed. You know, they have game breaking speed, how explosive they are in terms of their 40 times, things like that. This is the year where I think the underlying theme is um, it's not how fast you can run. It's how fast you can stop. And, and, mm-hmm. and the whole idea about, you know, footwork and quick stop, start acceleration and burst and reacceleration and that savviness in terms of being able to see the field. So Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery are kind of my top two guys. We'll see who finishes one. I'm finishing up my chapter right now for the rookie scouting portfolio. But Jacobs right now has the slightest edge and it's mainly because he's a little bit more economical with his footwork um he runs with really good stamina he's just a solid all-around back who reminds me a lot of of ray rice in the sense of that he can you know he can execute all the different types of footwork to to work through creases and set them up he's very smart in terms of being able to set up the um you know, gap or zone type of runs. He's someone that finishes very strong. He's a, obviously a good receiver on the backfield. He can catch 
um, seam routes. He can do back shoulder routes. He's someone that can give you just the basic wide routes and swing routes as well and be reliable in that respect. And then he also has that blocking element to him that I think is good that can only get better. Mm-hmm. And then you have Dave, David Montgomery. And, and and Montgomery, you know, ESPN made a lot out of him where basically in, during a game there was an off-made meme, I think, now where they compared him to all-time greats <laughs> in like every facet of his yeah. game. And yeah, it was, and he became kind of comedy hour as a, a butt of a joke for that. But he has a little bit of that. They're both similar size guys. Um, but whereas Jacob's a little more economical with his footwork, Montgomery's a little more creative. And he has a little bit more of that Maurice Jones-Drew element to him. You know, the ability to to kind of bounce laterally and do two to three different little moves and still have it work out in a way where it's not hesitation as much as it is um, just extreme level of being able to um, make people miss and layer it on top of one another. And he, and he has flashier moves. Now, while he has flashier moves i actually think jacobs is the slightest bit smarter as a runner with his footwork in situations that are important such as being able to um, avoid penetration in the backfield i think montgomery has to work on that a little bit better but that's how close it is between these two guys montgomery doesn't have great speed jacobs has probably average speed montgomery's maybe a little bit below average in that respect um but they're both guys that have, are very quick, good stop-start ability, strong vision, strong after contact, and their balance. So, you know, they're both the top guys. And then the guy that I think right now who is probably going to be third on my list is likely to be Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma who's recovering mm-hmm. from an ACL tear. Um, but, you know, you look at his game, and, and I would say that while his blocking, his pass protection is close to being a liability, um, he, he is an excellent receiver. He's also a guy that can – you can have him go downfield. He can win the ball in the air. He's someone that is reliable both in the short, intermediate, and deep games. He's a strong back at 6 feet, 224. Reminds me a little bit of Ryan Matthews. Um, and Ryan Matthews, if Ryan Matthews hadn't had – you know, kind of more of a discipline maturity problems to begin his career where he just wasn't ready to commit to be a professional. He probably would have been Norv Turner's like every down pro bowl caliber back um, yeah. in San Diego. He, he had flashes of that. And Anderson has that kind of footwork that, that speed and burst and also the, the strength to be the guy. So they're all in that 220 to 225 range. Anderson's a little bit on the taller side at six feet. You know, Jacobs and Montgomery are both 5'10". Yeah, I know Montgomery was a Cincinnati kid, if I recall correctly. Had a heck of a high school career. I remember seeing some of his stuff coming out of high school. Now, let me question for you. Do you have concerns about Jacobs production in college does that give you pause no because I'm not so much a production guy as I am a here's my standards for what I'm looking for in a player mm-hmm. and if I can see these things show up repeatedly then I'm good with it because the corollary to me is you know the best examples are guys like when I studied tape for years Ahmad Bradshaw, Matt Forte, Joseph Adai are three players that I remember when I'd study their tape, there were games where they didn't even average, you know, two yards a carry. And I'd have huge grades for them that were great because they did because 
what I try to do when I evaluate is to take away as much of the elements as possible that are dependent upon other people mm-hmm. and, and, and do as much as I can on the decision-making element of what the player should do in that set and then try and project what they might have been able – and I try and do it in a way where it projects well to what they would do whether they have a, a huge crease – or not, you know. Certainly, there are some things that you you can't grade. Like I can't grade long speed if the guy that's never going to break past the line of scrimmage. But well, there's a lot of things in terms of how they read the blocking scheme, how they um, make people miss, how they use their footwork, how they use their pads. Um, you, you know, all those different types of elements of movement and power and balance and decision making are still all there. And so, a lot of it's easy to to look at where you can have a guy. Those three guys I had high grades for with really bad games production-wise, and they turned out to be pretty darn good players, whereas guys like, you know, you could look at a Troy Davis from Iowa State who was a record holder or Darren McFadden even or, um, you know, some other players who were really who were really strong um You know, Bishop Sankey Mm -hmm. is a good example. You know, players who may have produced well um, at the at a certain level, but when you watch their game, you go, you you look at the same types of decisions and compare, and they just didn't project as well. So for me, the production element doesn't come into it very often. Yeah, I align a a lot in the same mold that you do with with trusting. It's 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 just trusting the decision-making, like you said, what you see on tape. I, I do understand some of the production stuff that people talk about. I don't ever like to, and I know you're the same, but I don't like to diminish people who do some really fantastic work on the production right. side, and they have they have proof that their data can be right. And that's that's where NFL franchises, as you know, Matt, they, they're balancing all that, and I think the best people in draft world try to balance all of that too and don't just dismiss the other side. But I'm with you. If I had to lean one way or the other, I heavily lean – Trusting the tape, trusting what you're seeing, what they're seeing, just them, not relying on other people. That's fantastic stuff. I'm going to shift gears, Matt, a little bit with you. Um, I want to talk specifically the Browns now. I want to first get your opinion on the current status quo, which is Nick Chubb, which is Kareem Hunt, and which is Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson is a name that is now floated out on the trade markets. I don't think John Dorsey recently did him any favors by saying he's not quite available there have been rumors floating over the last two weeks if if this were your gm decision you have these three guys where what are you thinking where are you going with this decision going into 2019 (laughs) well my first my first thought would be finally um which is which i know there's a lot of duke johnson fans out there but you know nick chubb was the highest graded back i the, the back I've given the highest grade to in the past five years. Um, so even ahead of Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was a huge Nick Chubb fan in terms of what I saw from his game. And when the Browns drafted him, I, I my thought was if they see the Nick Chubb that was at the university of Georgia, they're not going to need Duke Johnson. Um, and, and I was, and when they gave that contract and drafted him, I knew a lot of people were like, well, you know, why would they do that? Why is Chubb even going to be a factor, especially if they have Carlos Hyde? And, you know, I think we can look back on it and say that there was a lot of dysfunction and too many chefs in the kitchen and a lot of back and forth and not being aligned. But at the same time too, part of it too is probably going, let's, let's see what Nick Chubb has. And backs do get hurt, and we need to have redundancy, and we need to have 
the redundancy of talent. And I think yeah. that after they saw what they saw, they got rid of Hyde. Now it's time to get rid of Duke Johnson. And as good of a back as Duke Johnson can be, I think that it is a smart decision that they're going to do something about that. Now, I don't know what you know Dorsey's thinking in terms of what he said, other than maybe to just try and see if that's a ploy to raise the price in the same way that the Steelers were talking about how they, they weren't going to, you know, <laughs> drop their pants and, you know, basically, you know, bend over at the ankles. And, and they decided basically that that was something that uh, that ultimately they were forced in the position to do um, to the delight of many Browns fans. But, you know, the <laughs> same, uh, you know, on that end of it, it I think that, that this is the right thing to do considering that they are going to have at least for the next year, you know, Chubb and for at least part of the year, Kareem hunt. And they can also now draft a back if they decide to, or acquire someone either in free agency or as a street free agent after the draft, you know, one of these undrafted guys who might fit what they want to do a little better and have a little more redundancy if Nick Chubb gets hurt or if Kareem Hunt doesn't stay here for the long term or if Kareem Hunt doesn't work out during the course of the year and they they need a a plan B yeah fantastic I I mean I I'm I'm of the belief that with the current status of where this roster's going and where it would look after 2019 that the only way you have a chance to get any value for Duke Johnson is to is to move him now, and that that might not mean much, but it does mean clearing some money off the books in a situation where you need to put some uh, some funds at other places as things are going to get tighter over the next few years. Like I love Duke Johnson; I think he, in a in a time of real depression with the Browns and what they were producing offensively, that guy was a small beacon of light <laughs> that that yes. not many people were producing, and he did well. And the Browns took care of him too; they gave him, they paid the man, they paid him like a top fifteen running back. Um, and, and rightfully so, but at the same time, things change, situations change, things evolve, and where they're going with a Todd Monk and Freddie Kitchens offense, as you saw just from Freddie in weeks 9 through 17, it is not reliant on that scat back role, and as you have mentioned, Matt, Nick Chubb can do those things, and with Duke Johnson, you lose a lot of that run pass deception when he comes onto the field and that you know there are teams that can get away with that there are teams that such as the Patriots even the Chargers that can get away with having a guy who you know it's probably going to be 80 20 pass when he steps on the field but I don't think the Browns want to feel like that so the the ideal thing is and I understand where a lot of smart people have come from saying well you need him in case Kareem's suspended for 10 games whatever and that's a pessimistic way to look at it in my opinion because say you do keep Duke Johnson around he sits the bench he has an even bigger cut in production than he had in 2018 you're looking at a guy who has no value at the end of the season and you just have to cut him so you have a chance to get something for him now return a player back to your franchise also give him a chance to go somewhere such as maybe Philadelphia who really needs that role and it could be a win for both sides so I'm with you I think they need to move him and get that money off the books give him a chance to play elsewhere, but also understand that they have two. I mean, Kareem Hunt is a top five running back on just talent alone. Like he's up there. He's a really good football player. We both believe Nick Chubb's a really good football player. It's hard to see where Duke Johnson fits into that. A lot of people talk about the slot. I've been talking about the slot for what feels like years, but it just, it doesn't come to fruition, whether that's Duke or the other coaching staffs, who knows it just hasn't worked out, um, and and maybe he just wants to sit in the backfield, and that's fine. But I don't think that role is 
that rule is here anymore. So I'm, I'm sorry, man. I went on a tangent there, but I just got to get. No, I think it's. I think it's great, and I think that the points you made about what the Browns need to get out of this financially and looking at it from a long-term roster-wide perspective makes sense because then you can afford maybe another player that you wouldn't have been able to have with Duke Johnson sitting on the bench, and then the whole slot thing. I mean, it's hard to scheme, you know, two running backs used in the ways that they did. I've been profiling that for a couple years now going, when are they going to do what they said they're going to do? And yeah. and it doesn't happen often enough, and it's, and it's hard because it's not like he can be a good slot receiver but are you going to move him and make him full-time a slot receiver because that's going to take some time and as good as he is as catching the ball i agree with you you know if he's in if he's in new england or philadelphia or in los angeles and he gets a chance to to, to do that and you can get the value out of him that way that would make more sense because if you move duke johnson then you're you're committing to that full time and are you invested in the other receivers that you had you know and and that becomes uh, it becomes a whole different story and a lot of different layers to it that can just be a pain especially if the experiment doesn't work out exactly the way you wanted to um you know maybe he's really good at the, the screen game maybe he can run some slants okay but are you you know what are the other types of routes and routes adjustments that you want to have him do and so i think it's just better all in all and the browns anyway if you look at this team i mean you, you want to be able to pound this ball the nfc the afc north the afc north is a pound the ball division it's a physical division the pittsburgh steelers still run the ball you know often you know when they can they'll they'll run the ball 25 30 times the mm-hmm. the ravens we you saw what was going down with the ravens and and certainly the Bengals aspire to that with jeff mixon uh, you know, with Joe Mixon, they they certainly aspire to that at times. Um, their offensive line just couldn't stay healthy. Um, with with the new guy they had from Ohio State, he couldn't stay healthy. And when he did, when he w- did, they were looking pretty good. Uh, especially watching them against the Colts earlier in the year, you could see the promise there of what they were trying to do. And I think you know part of that is what the division is like and and where how they win and 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 you know the the types of games that happen later in the year there you know we often say that's all narrative street type of stuff but when you look at the weather and you look at the way these teams play there's some truth to that the way these defenses are you have to be able to run you have to get the respect of these defenses you have to be able to be physical and i think the browns also just uh, part of it too is you have to establish a brand of what you are and i think that this is one of those cases where, um, you know, the, the the Browns brand has always been about physical football. And if you can provide that physical football as a means to help with the play action game and, and what Baker Mayfield can do, um, you know, you've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt being kind of that Rodney Anderson, um, Trey Sermon type of thing at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and you have that now likely going to be going down here in Cleveland. Yeah, it's exciting to think that they have two guys they can shuffle in and out who have no deception to what they can do ability-wise. You don't know what they're going to do 
I mean, I think one of the things that Nick Chubb was so underrated, and I know that you know because you spent as much time with him in his film as anybody, is how well he catches a football. Like, you put him in situations, the Cincinnati game is a perfect example. You don't see many running backs go over the top of a trailing defender's neck and grab the football. You just don't see it. So the beautiful part of it is, like you said, with play action and what Todd Monk and, and Kitchens love to do with that unpredictability is is putting themselves in those positions to – uh, keep defenses on their toes and don't be predictable and run past situations dependent upon down and all that. So great stuff. I will ask you one last question. Um, who, if the Browns do decide to use a sixth or a seventh on a running back of some capacity, just to hold over, if they do move Duke Johnson, what guys might align with that, uh, with that spot? Yeah, there's, there's a number of guys. I mean, one is if you're going to go with, uh, look, we have Nick Chubb, we have Kareem Hunt, let's get another guy in that mold. There's a couple guys that come to mind. L.J. Scott, who didn't have a particularly strong combine, but an Ohio kid who you know kind of grew up like in Cleveland, none of that really matters. What does matter is that he's about 6 feet, 227, and, he's, and he kind of has that James Conner, jeremy hill type of game he's physical he can make people he can make the first man miss he's got pretty nifty footwork he can catch the ball very well um he he's he's quicker than fast he's he's gotten every down back game another guy i really like is jock patrick out of um florida state who was a five-star prospect but he ended up playing in the shadow of Dalvin Cook early in his career and then Cam Akers later in his career. And both those guys are touted as, you know, top prospects. But this is a 6'3", 234-pound dude who plays with that kind of Chris Carson type of vibe. He's not extremely fast, um, and his quickness is probably just competent for the NFL, but he has really good feet. He's someone that can really set up creases, and he might be the most powerful back in in this class, if you ask me, in terms of just being able to drag people, run through multiple tackles. You have to wrap and hit this guy to bring him down, usually. Um, so he's he's a back that, but he also has some of that Legarrette blunt like footwork that that's that's really nice with his game, and he's probably going to be available, and he could probably play fullback, and he's an unselfish guy who can catch. Um, so those two guys kind of fit the bill in terms of if you're looking for for that and then maybe if a guy falls like alexander madison who's one of my favorite backs in this draft class out of boise state he's a 511 221 pound dude who's you know he ran a four six seven forty but his 20 shuttle and three cone drill are both like starter or elite level times for what you know for burst and change of direction skill and he is a good pass catcher and an all-around strong back and then if we're going to talk about maybe smaller guys who might fit the bill who maybe replace duke johnson and what duke johnson did if they're going to look that literally at the equation a guy later on by the name of darwin thompson out of utah state he's 5'8 200 pounds he um i talked to a guy by the name of dub maddox who is um, probably well known on Twitter, and he, he's written a book and a, a number of books about a system he's created called R4, which is just an, a fantastic system um, in terms of a, a way to overlay how to read the field for a variety of different offensive systems. So it's a way of looking at the field differently as a as a quarterback um, or a more efficiently in certain regards. And 
he coached Darwin Thompson in high school. And, and Thompson reminds me of Duke Johnson in a sense. He's, he's strong for his size. He's quick. He can catch. He, he does have some power to him to be able to push a pile on occasion. He breaks a lot of arm tackles. Um, and I think that he could be a sneaky good player who can be had probably very late because he didn't even get invited to the combine. Well, great, man. Those are good insights. I'm going to I'm gonna dig into some of those players. I suggest everybody else dig into them if you get a chance to look them up and get a feel for, um, you know, some of those late targets the Browns might attack. We'll keep an eye next week how, how free agency goes, and that will give us an idea of whether the Browns are going to move Duke Johnson or, or uh, sort of clear up the what is a muddy picture right now with the running back position. The good thing is, like I said earlier, the status quo stays the same. you got a heck of a running back group that is probably as deep as any in the NFL which is great if you include uh, um, you know, all four of the backs that are on the roster right now. So uh, we'll leave it at that. I won't take any more of Matt's time. Matt, I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, appreciate you coming on, obviously. I, I would urge you guys to uh, buy his rookie scouting portfolio as it comes out towards draft time. Is that out right now, Matt? It will be out April 1st, every year since 2006. All right. Well, count me in for one this year. I, th- I suggest everybody buy one. It's great work. It's going to give you a comprehensive guide to what you're seeing on draft day and prepare for, uh, you know, all those rookies that come into the league in, in the 2019 season. So, again, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate you, man. Hey, Jake. Thank you. Yeah, of course, buddy. Okay, uh, guys, I, I always remind you at the end of these podcasts, if you can, give us a five-star review. I can't get enough of those. You guys do great with them. I really appreciate it. Well, don't give me five stars if you don't think it's a five-star podcast. You can give me a th- I don't Be honest. But any feedback is great. Always love it. Subscribing, all that great stuff. We are going to try to. I keep saying it. It's busy. Got the little man at home. We're going to try to get some video work done this offseason before the draft, looking at some prospects I really like. So keep your eyes peeled on that. Otherwise, great stuff going down on at Browns Film Breakdown and my Twitter handle as well. Follow Matt if you're not already following Matt, at Matt Waldman. Uh, make sure, guys, to also um, you know, go out and buy his rookie scouting portfolio because he's going to teach you, again, everything you need to know about the draft. So we will be back later this week. We'll take a look at another position, probably going to jump in on wide receivers. Until then, as usual, guys, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.